I mean, I, I do, I identify as a doctor of mental health. Is that, that different than identifying as the OCD girl? A little, it's a positive story. People judge me less for that, but I still identify I'm, I'm a workaholic. How different is that from being a drug addict? It's safer in some ways, but you know what? It's, that's the only reason I am a workaholic it's because I used to be a drug addict and I can't do drugs anymore. So here we are. No, I Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Otto Gomes Crypto Show. I'm your host, Otto Gomes. Uh, today, I have an awesome guest. I met her through Instagram, but it was on Dr. Joseph Yee's Instagram account. He does those lives every night. And she came on and she was inspiring and fun and uh, really changed my perspective on a few things since I've met her. But without further ado, let me do a quick introduction here. This is Dr. Julia Britz. She is a licensed naturopathic doctor who received her training from Bastyr University in San Diego, California. She specializes in supporting people who are struggling with mental health issues such as OCD, disorders eating, and psychiatric medication tapering. Her passion for working with individuals suffering from these lonely conditions is that she too was a hopeless case, but got better. Dismissed by doctors, she was told over and over there was nothing else she could try beyond pharma, pharmacotherapy, and so was inspired to create MyOCDDiary.com, a site dedicated to documenting the life, the daily life of OCD and related disorders. Through this project and holistic therapies, she found new levels of wellness, and in 2014, did a TED Talk called My OCD Diary, an Imperfect Story. She utilizes natural and integrative modalities, including targeted amino acid therapy, peptide therapy, micronutrient therapy, bioresonance, which we're going to get into, uh, botanical medicine, epigenetic analysis, and that was the last thing. Most recently, she was the director of naturopathic medicine of alternative uh, at Alternative to a Meds Center in Arizona and now practices telemedicine. Ladies and gentlemen, that was a mouthful. Dr. Julia Britz. <laughs> hey, Otto, how's it going? I'm doing great. Everyone listening, I wanted to read her whole biography. She sent me three paragraphs, and usually I like to concentrate it, but it was, it was so good. It was just like this nice little layering of, of intro to your life. So thank you, Dr. Julia. Thank you. No, like, like you have to write these things, right? And then like write it in the third person. You're like, oh, okay, that's weird, but whatever. And um, <laughs> it's like, I could write someone else's in two minutes, but writing my own was like so long. So I'm glad you read it because I spent so much time writing it. So. Oh, well, see, because you took the time, it probably put your heart into it. And so I was like, oh, this feels, this feels hearty. It feels like it comes from the heart. Um, so what I love to do is get to know you better. I want to get to know your journey to this point. And specifically, what was your red pill moment that really oh. shook you out of the matrix and brought you to this moment now? Oh man, I feel like there was so many moments, but cause it's like layers, you know, like mm. something happens and you go this way and then you just peel it back and then you have that crisis where it's like, how many more layers are there? And then it's like, okay, well, I guess this is maybe just how life is. It's, a, it's just, you continuously peel it back. 
So I think the biggest moment though would have to be when I met my current um, holistic practitioner and she uses bioresonance. And I actually met her because I was getting my neck chiropracted by this, uh, this guy in my town. I lived in Portland and I woke up one day and I could not move my head. I was like stuck in this position to the right. And I was like, oh, and I slept on it weird. He was the only one that would see me on the weekend. So I just hopped over there. And I remember um, he asked me about my period and I was like, but you're a man, you know? Um, <laughs> I was like, that's weird. But I was like, it's actually terrible though. I have terrible PMS. And I remember he did some like muscle testing on me. Mm. I'd never seen that. Um, and he gave me just a couple supplements, but I slept through the night for the first time. And I was like, what is this? So I called him back and I was like, I have a lot of problems. Like, can you like do all of them? And he's like, no, no, no. But you should see my mom. She does more natural medicine. Mm. And she happens to be in town this weekend because she was visiting. And I thought, what are the odds? So I go in and she doesn't tell me much, but I hold on to these like brass cathodes, which are part of the bioresonance device. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't really explain much, but all of a sudden she's looking at her computer and, she's like, and she goes, oh, you've got a cat. And I was like, yeah, she goes, yeah, well, you have a parasite from your cat. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, um, and you got, and I didn't tell her I had OCD. I just said that I had chronic infections. Cause that's what I, I believe this huge lie that OCD was genetic and there's nothing you could do besides take a pharmaceutical, how convenient, you know, lifelong pharmacy patient, right? Customer. I mean, whatever. So <laughs> Anyways, she said, uh, no, there's plenty we can do. And I was like, no, 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 I, I'm managing it. Like it was so ingrained in me that there was mm. nothing I could do. Mm. And then she's like, nope, we can do stuff. And I left with like 500 bucks worth of supplements, but I, my OCD was gone in about a month. And, wow. you know, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a doctor so I can use that magic machine. And that's what happened. So, okay. So so is this was more recent or was this like on your journey to to becoming a doctor this was probably in my um this would have been my early 20s so okay so this was this was way back when yeah Mm -hmm. and it's inspired me to go to medical school to um hyper focus on natural medicine i mean i already was that kid that ate organic you know Mm -hmm. that um cared about dvt cared about the environment i was always that kid um but this was like a whole new level of wow, this was chemistry and nutraceuticals and individualized medicine. And I just thought this is way better than Western medicine. (laughs) So much better. Um, Don't get me wrong. I like Western medicine. I use it all the time. I love integrated medicine. I love pharmacology, but um, I like pharmacology because it was chemistry. And when I found out that you could use chemistry with, you know, botanicals and hormones, I thought, oh man, this is, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. Oh, the way you're describing it. I love it. I love it because, um, you're not necessarily saying it's bad, right? You're not saying opioids are bad and it's in Western medicine is bad, but it sounds like you're saying that there's a time and place for it. So there's a time. There's a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a time. Some... I mean, there's, it's like a, it's like if you had to get into a house because there was a fire and like it, let's just say the fire's only in the kitchen try opening the door first before you break it down just maybe try the less invasive less intense less consequential route before you just throw a med or a surgical or whatever kind of procedure at it because you know it's you can always do that but if you have if you have the time if you afforded the luxury of time to give yourself the curiosity and exploration to see what you can gently do to move the dial who wouldn't do that 
Well, I, um, so then I would say from the opposite side of the spectrum, cause I, I'm having this experience with my father right now. Uh, cause it's built in me to want to save. I'm like the savior mentality. Um, and I'm, that's, that's my own journey and I, that I'm trying trying to work on myself, but I've noticed that I stopped now trying to convince or desperately approach my dad with solutions because I've noticed that because he's spent so much time dependent on those systems and using what is provided by that system, it's almost like impossible for him to stop. You know, he's 74 now, about turned 75. And it seems like, like he's going to be on these, on these meds for the rest of his life. So, so what's your perspective on that? On like, is is there a, po- a point where you can use it too much to where it's it's going to be really difficult, if not impossible, to get get away from it? Yeah, I mean the truth is that that is possible, especially for people that have been on medications for you know an extremely long time. And and not to say that you can't change that, you can. It's just that you know there's there's a difference between like getting a horrible diagnosis, like something really life threatening. And going, well, it's time to juice cleansing, juice cleanse when you spent your entire life eating fast food, not drinking a sip of water and on a ton of meds. Like it's a little late, a little late for that. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm not saying it won't help, but I am saying like we have to have real expectations about like what your body can handle. Like, because mm. it's a huge shift. And sometimes, I mean, I've had people come in and say, I tried eating gluten-free. It hurts my stomach. When I eat Taco Bell, I feel good. Why is that? It's a thing. It's a real thing. We adapt. And I feel for you because I have family members that I'm just like, would you just do this? It would make you so much happier. But I just think, you know, like you've gotten this far. So obviously you're doing some right. And that's why I've like, um, uh, uh, I've been saying this, like if I'm on life support or no, if I'm, if I'm in the hospital because I, of my life choices and the choices mm-hmm. me die or put me on life support, just let me die. Cause it's, cause it's like, I made the choices in my life to get to that point to where that's, the, that's, the, that's where I'm at. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, you know, it's, it's life choices, it's lifestyle choices and, and what we normalize. Um, so I want to know, I want to go back a little bit again to, to your life and, and your journey. So what was your experience with opioids growing up? Uh, Cause I know that you do have, some story there you have something that that got you to this point that made you want to become a doctor um so tell me your journey with that and how that kind of played out and why you chose the specific field in of medicine i was the kid that would get a prescription for narcotics for actual pain and not use it because i didn't want to waste them when i was feeling bad I wanted to save them till I was having like a day when I wanted to get high. <laughs> right, right. And um, cause I learned real quick. I started like smelling glue when I was a little kid. And like, I, I was really young trying to change like how I felt. And I practiced mm. self-harm very young too. Mm. And I, I didn't know what I was doing, but with the, like the restricting of food and all that kind of stuff, I was actually altering my chemical insides and it was so i had such extreme anxiety that swinging it to the other side felt good i didn't even know i was doing it but i i mean i love narcotics i metabolize them textbooks like they feel so good i feel them for the right amount of time 
They excrete correctly. I have very few side effects. Like how they're supposed to feel on somebody is how I feel with them. Mm -hmm. And so I just fell in love with them. And obviously I was incredibly, or maybe not, but at the time I didn't know I was super endorphin deficient. So like all that <laughs> felt so good. And then when I had Ativan for the first time, I thought, this is what normal people must feel like. Cause mm -hmm. I had such a nice break from the anxiety OCD when I took Ativan. So I started getting it from Mexico because back then you could just go to Mexico and get whatever you wanted. You can't now, but back then it was not too hard. And before the opioid epidemic, I'd go to my doctor and be like, you know, my throat really hurts. Can I have Vicodin? Sure. Like it, yeah, was, it was not a challenge. I grew up in Florida <laughs> and they would call them like pain farm or uh, uh, no pill farms, right? Where you go mm -hmm. to, the, you go to the, the pain doctor and he would just say like, my back hurts. Okay. Here's 30 pills. <laughs> I know like little candy lands popping up and <laughs> it's, it's wild to think about. And now it's all changed, but you know, I was trying to manage everything. So I would experience this awful anxiety. And then I would typically, um, drink a lot of alcohol. Then I would self harm. And then I'd feel guilty about that. So then I would take a narcotic to feel better and mm. then I would pass out. And that all seemed to be a nice little, like, thing I managed to do to help, you know, self-medicate. And I got off that stuff, but it was incredibly difficult. And that's when I learned like, this is insane. Like this is like the deep dark secret of psychiatry where they put you on this stuff and there's no guide or no how-to book of getting people off. It's this like insane thing that just passed along from generation to generation of, oh, just give it two weeks, just give it two weeks. Tell them they're crazy if it's not two weeks. And I think a lot of psychiatrists know that's not really true. And some of them are like, hey, let's lengthen the taper a bit. But still, it's a very, um, uh, what's it called? I forget the word, but it's it's a very uh, like not constructed field like of medicine. It's like a vicious like, cycle, right? It's just a downward yeah. spiral cycle. Yeah, it is. And so I when I figured out how hard it was to get myself off it. And I've always been very experimental. Like what else can I try? I don't care if it makes me feel bad. I just want to try it. I was the kid that was like, I'd rather have a bad story than no story at all. I'd rather feel something than not, you know, that was me. Yep. So yep. I, I tapered off Ativan three times, Vicodin twice. Um, and I, I was like, this is impossible. So when I got to med school, I, we would have, I was always on the mental health rotations and patients would come in and my teachers, they all kind of, it was part of my college app. I was like, I got off out of that. I'm passionate about naturopathy. And so a, a lot of these, like the other students would say, oh, like, I don't know how to handle this. Like go see Julia. She does the, the tapering and it just, just sort of fell into my lap because word got around and I just really liked it. It just helped feed that obsessive ke like chemistry part of my brain. And I was like, well, no one knows how to do this. I've been there. I know how hard it is. I, I love doing it. And I guess this is just what I'm going to do. <laughs> That's awesome. That's such an odd situation that happened there. I, was like, <laughs> I, guess, I guess I'm good at this. All right. Let's, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, but that made me here you are, here you are. And, and, and I'm sure that that started the journey for you to, to start to peel back the layers. Right. It's like, Maybe it started yeah. off with something like that, but it, it became something so beautiful and so good. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's like this thing where part of me was like, I want to get as far away from OCD, anxiety, mental health as possible. Cause I don't want to think about that anymore. Mm. Like, mm, like it's human nature to forget painful things, but part of me feels like if I keep it close, then 
it's like keeping your enemies close. You know what I mean? Like just these, oh. these drugs, these scary topics, like it, in a way I feel safe being around it. Like, I don't know. So that's part of it too. I, I, if I think about it too long, that's what I've come up with. No, that's great. It's like a, con it's more of a conqueror mentality as opposed to like a victim mentality where they'll just like, you succumb to the, to the yeah. fear of it. It's like, honestly, uh, and I, I know people that are listening, probably some people out there would get upset me saying this, but it's like AA, you know, where they mm -hmm. go to AA and they're like, yeah. you're the alcoholic. Yeah. You, that's your identity now. And yeah. it's like, so I can never even, I can't even look at alcohol anymore. I can't even smell it. You know, it's like, I guess I'm weak. I guess I'm the little victim. <laughs> it's like, dude. <laughs> uh so sorry anybody out there listening that has done AA. not bashing aa it's very good uh environment to put yourself in as opposed to like going to the club but um <laughs> but you can get stuck it, it, it'll work for a while and then and then you get stuck in the cycle of being the that identity and, and being the person that does it you know yeah and that's a huge thing too like i i mean i i do i identify as a doctor of mental health is that that different than identifying as the OCD girl? A little. It's a positive story. People judge me less for that, but I still identify. I'm I'm a workaholic. How different is that from being a drug addict? It's safer in some ways, but you know what? It's that's the only reason I am a workaholic. It's because I used to be a drug addict and I can't do drugs anymore. So here we are. No, I agree with you. It's like um, it's like, do you have the ability to put the hat on and take it off at the right moments? It's like you can't be the doctor playing you know playing music right you gotta you gotta be the musician to play music yeah uh, and then if you're if if you are the addict all of a sudden well i want to be the addict at this moment so that i can share my experience share who, who i was back then but that's not me that's where people get right it's like, it's like identifying and then that's you forever <laughs> um yeah yeah you get it <laughs> yes yes um um okay so so let's go let's shift the conversation here to uh, current events and all the craziness that we've been going through in these last couple of years. So I guess my first question is, what is your perspective on what's been happening in the world in the last two or three years? <laughs> I know, right? I love this. Um, you know, every time there is a crazy mass shooting, um, which seems to be kind of an American problem, um, I can't help but wonder, like, how many meds were they on? Because like, it's not a happy, well-adjusted, um, medication-free kid that's doing that. <laughs> like, happy people so, don't shoot each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we think about what these meds do. Like, they a lot of them can cause agitation and memory lapses, confusion, mm. odd body sensations, um, hallucinations. Like, if you're prone to you know whatever problems you're you know then how is that influence not going to cause an issue so i i think it's very interesting that <laughs> it's really really interesting that there's such little research being done into that because you know we hear it doesn't matter what party you're into democrat public doesn't matter like we got to save the children save the children really if that were true, why are we not looking into any of this psychiatric medication stuff and the influence it has on kids? Black box warnings for suicide risk. Like, mm, it's almost like it's not about the children. It's almost like it's almost. the complete opposite. Yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> I mean, with everything that's happening, might as well be the complete opposite. Um, yeah. 
with the over-sexualization of children now. I mean, that just that alone is, imagine the, uh, I, I can't even, I cannot imagine mm-hmm. what the DSRM is going to look, <laughs> going to look like. Is it called a DSRM or, or the D, uh, yeah, the DSRM. What that's going to look like in five years, it's going to be like, like three books thick. Oh, no, it'd be like the Encyclopedia Britannica, like volume one through 26. <laughs> and, <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Like we're also experiencing these shortages um, of benzos, Adderall, all different kinds of medications. Um, we're seeing a lot of changes to like, oh, hey, all of a sudden, oh, there's no such thing as a chemical dependency. Huh. That's interesting. Because yeah, no, that's that's clear. That's kind of, they, they've, they've, they've said that in the, on mainstream media, that there's no such thing as chemical dependency. What? Yeah. The I heck? know. And I'm like, you know, well, I mean, nothing will cause a chemical dependency better than a psychiatric med, but I was suspicious because I'm like, well, why are you saying that? Because uh, there's gotta be something else coming down the pipe. And I guarantee it's going to be like, just like we're seeing big pharma, it's going to be big psychedelic. Like, and it's going to just like the marijuana industry. I think it'll be more regulated that's my theory but i think it's just that these blockbuster drugs are no longer pulling in the money that they used to they used to like mirtazapine is like they're trying to revamp that one they just did actually but i think because the money's not coming in they've got to switch so now it's going to be like oh like instead of taking a pill a day of whatever medicine it'll be take your little microdose every day of whatever psychedelic it is Oh, so this is going down an interesting conversation road. So, you know, Dr. Joseph E just went and did ayahuasca. I know. I heard about that. Yeah. And he did combo and he did something else. I think when he was there, um, but he's been going down this road and I have noticed that I have you, man, you're making a great point here, Dr. Julia, which is, which is this, like, there has been this push. And it's, uh, and it's interesting because it's not weed. Yeah, I would have always thought it was weed before, before mushrooms. Always, always would have thought that. And here we are. I'm seeing commercials now for pharmaceutical-based psilocybin. Yeah. So what's going on with this? Is, are, like, uh, I mean, are they just trying to trick people into another... For, you know, like uh, taking psilocybin and creating a, a synthetic version of it is like, is that the route that they're going to take essentially? I kind of think it is because I mean, it's very difficult to patent life. Um, right. It's, there was a law back in like, I think it was 79 that said you could, but it's very difficult to do it because people like different <laughs> groups and schools, they will patent portions of that. So mm-hmm. that's what happened with Lyme, the bacteria. So with Borrelia, like we had all this research from different universities. And then they said, guess what? We could patent life. And so each one was like, well, we're going to patent this particular protein sequence. And then they're like, well, we're going to patent this very specific DNA. And then it was a it was a nightmare for Lyme because then we didn't have any like really great research that could guide treatment. And then we see now we have a, a an actual epidemic of that. But um it's just profit so driven think, through the little, the little loopholes. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it is. And I think that's what is going on with these, the synth- synthetic psilocybin, you know, we're going to see, it's just about money and greed insurance. And, you know, now given, I think psilocybin is probably better for most people than antipsychotics and anti, you know, and all those different medications, 
but I'm always suspicious of the synthetic version of anything, because when you have the actual plant, you have all those constituents and things in it that metabolize it. It's different, but with a synthetic, like overdriven, like it's this one specific chemical yeah. from the plant, like you strip it down. It's there's nothing natural or holistic or humane about that. I have a and great, I, very- I have a great analogy for that. I have a friend who, who, um, teaches uh, functional movement and he said, he said the digestive process, like when you go out into the jungle and you start picking fruit, that's the beginning of the digestive process. Picking the fruit, like peeling it back, opening it, that literally starts to communicate. There's a resonance that happens there and your body will start to prepare itself for that food to digest. When you, when you eat things that are processed outside, that, 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 you know, that you have to remove all the stuff and then you get this like for example, orange juice, that's a very simple, uh, example, but you've eliminated the, the initial process of peeling and you know, that, that step in the digestion, you just take the orange juice cup and you start drinking it. Your body's like, Oh God, oh, what do I, you know, it's like this, almost like a little bit of a shock. It'll know what to do. Cause it's like, Oh, this is orange juice. Okay. I know what to do with this, but yeah. you just skipped all these steps to prepare the body for it. So I can only imagine, <laughs> Um, what this is going to do to people's bodies, you know, having this confusion happen and, and eliminating that process of like going after the thing, even with weed that I still, that I think that's also a process that's happening now where they're becoming more, more concentrated. There's more of an effect because the body wasn't ready for it. Oh, it's, you nailed it. There is absolutely a need for a preparation for foreplay, whatever you want to call it, yeah. because the body can't just go from zero to sleep. You need to relax first. You can't just like anything else. And that's my problem with pornography. Exactly. It's like you, it's, you think about that. Like if you, you know, have a a date with somebody and you build up that chemistry, that tension, you're like exchanging pheromones. Like you, it might take hours, you know, but with pornography, you know, a few minutes. Right. No, I'm not saying that's bad or anything like that. I'm just saying like, you know, we are used to going from, not doing the work or not building up or letting our bodies like adjust to something. And I mean, that's, that's not an easy thing to ask of the body. Mm. Instant gratification. That's a trap. It's a trap. Mm -hmm. It's a trap to create limitation, to create stagnation. Flow is hard. (laughs) Yeah. Flow is difficult. (laughs) Yeah. Flow is a little more work. And, And that's the thing people, I get it. Like if you have severe anxiety and depression, like, you need out of that. It's, it's, and it is, it deserve people deserve to get out of suffering. Um, and it's it, but it is part of like the pharmaceutical model to ask like what medication is good for anxiety, what supplements good for anxiety. Like, and there's really no magic pill. Like I can give you all the supplements in the world, but if the diet's not in place, if the sleep's not in place, if the water intake's not happening, if you're not going outside, like doing like, if all that's not there, like the supplements are going to do very little, you know, but if we have everything else, then like it just, everything will click better. You know, we need to like, go back to like the word supplement and remember what that actually means. (laughs) Supplement is not opioid supplement is to supplement the lack of the practice to get the thing that you need. And so it's just supplementing. It's a bridge. So don't get stuck in it. <laughs> exactly. That was perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm being more conscious of the words I use 
because that's how they do it. Uh, you know, the etymology of words, the even like um, I just interviewed someone that she's she she's like the mag a magician of words, and she just finds the she, she finds the etymology in the sounds and the resonance of the words, not necessarily on the you know looking it up and finding the definition. Like she like intuitive Ooh. intuitively remembers the the root words. And it's so interesting to like hear her talk, but, uh, and I interviewed her. So you guys, if you were, if you're listening, it's a episode that's coming out. Her name is Laurel Erica, Laurel Erica. Ooh, I'm definitely and, listening. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, but I've been very cautious of like the words I use and how I use them because that's it. That it's, uh, the manufactured consent is done through language. And so, mm -hmm. uh, that's how we were getting sucked into these systems and feeling the metaphysical control is we've self-implicated we've implicated ourselves into it we've like just consented to it so we need to like start remembering what words are and what they actually mean so we stop the implication um anyway uh question so this is like your your thing this is your thing that we're going to talk about now and i want to know all about it because i am my mind is blown on how this thing works um bioresonance tell me about bioresonance what is it and why is it important to know? I will try. It's very, it's slightly, it's a little frustrating to do something that I believe I'm an expert in and to feel like I can't explain how it works. Like that's the <laughs> hardest part. Cause you know, I like chemistry. I like knowing how things work. So like, uh, it's so beyond me, but essentially bioresonance is a type of bioenergetic testing. Um, it was created this, you know, one version I have, um, but by Dr. Vo, he did a lot of work for that. And he was the guy that said, you know what, like if, if we're doing EKGs and EEGs, looking at the heart and the, and the mind, um, trying to assess their electrical state to determine pathology, why not the entire body where we conduct electricity, we're water-based beings. Like we're, why not look at everything? So, um, he used an ometer and the foundations of acupuncture and homeopathy to sort of map out with 150,000 different electronic signatures, like what could be going on neurologically in the body. So essentially um, this, it's a type of, well, it's, I consider it a valuable tool. The FDA does not um, approve it to be a diagnostic tool, which is fine. Cause I don't like the FDA anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I always, I, I always do the opposite. Like whatever they tell me to do, I just, I start researching the exact opposite because that's probably the truth. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're like, well, uh, they don't. Mm, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, I um, and so basically, someone can hold the brass cathodes, and it will send the electronic signatures through that person. Or if people send me DNA, I can do it that way. Um, some people feel it. Some people don't. I don't. Um, and then essentially, where that electricity goes, it's looking for resonance or something that matches that pattern. So if it doesn't match that, it lets me know. Or if it finds it, it will let me know. So I usually get between three to 500 lines of data on my computer based on that. And then um, we'll, we'll go through that and figure out from there what's going on. So it's not quantitative testing. Like for example, if you were like, I wanna look at my testosterone, you look in the serum you get a specific number. Like mm -hmm. you've asked for the number, you get a number. This, I'm not asking anything of it. It's just scanning the entire body and based on what it finds and what the innate intelligence finds to be important in the body as a priority, that's the information that comes back. So it's what I would call qualitative testing. 
which is so interesting because uh, if you guys are listening, I experienced this. We went on a, I, I cut my nails. I sent it to Jill, Dr. Julia and she did the, the tests. And then on the call, she starts reading the computer, the thing in front of her that uh, did the testing. And you were, I mean, it was like getting an astrology reading. Right. It was like, it was like a, it was like a psychic was telling me what was happening in my life. And here's the craziest part about all of this. You don't need to send new DNA to keep getting new data, which, which makes me wonder if this is proving uh, fractal, the fractal universe, you know, that, that everything is in everything. So, so I don't know anything about that. So, so this is the um, fractal geometry. Uh, uh, I just interviewed um, Robert Edward Grant. He's a mathematician on fractal geometry and topography uh, uh, and cryptography, but essentially reality, reality is, um, is creating itself from itself. So if you take an electron microscope to anything and you go in the, the smallest, you know, the, the, the closest you, you can go, you'll see that there's more empty space. There's more space in between the atoms and the, and the vibrations than there is the actual matter then they're actually okay. solid and it's and yeah. it's crazy number it's like 99.9 uh, 99.9 to the sixth decimal point that is empty space so it's just we're, we're literally just vibrating we're just we're just energy moving and so in the theory and this is a theory because you can't actually see this but in the theory of resonance and like the limitation of the spectrum that we can experience because we have a limited you know, spectrum of what we can see, what we can hear, what we can touch, what we can feel, what we can see, uh, um, um, smell, all that stuff. Um, so in the limitation or outside of the limitation, everything is creating uh, in and of itself at any, at any given moment. Um, so that's, mm -hmm. the, that's the negative space. The negative space is creation creating itself. We can't see it or perceive it, but it's there. And so it's based on, oh yeah, if I cut, if I cut my nail and I send it to you, you have every piece of data in the universe in that nail. That's, that's the theory. That's the, the concept. Okay. No, so, that's so cool. I, that kind of, I, I mean, I am going to have to process that because it's like, whoa, but it makes sense in terms of this thing, like how this could work. Yeah. So, so it's like, um, you know, so, so, so it's a combination of things. So that's the first one. And then the other one is, uh, is just a, the quantum entanglement theory you know, where things are all, all connected to each other. So yeah, if I, if I cut a piece of myself off and send it anywhere in the universe, I'll always be connected to it. I'll always have a resonance to it, a frequency mm -hmm. going to it. Um, so there's no, I don't have proof of any of this. This is just, you know, conversations that I've had and dots that I've connected, but uh, yeah. that's my theory on everything. Oh, I mean, it, it makes, because I like hearing that kind of stuff because it does help me sort of make more sense of how this works. Because when I first started using it, I was desperate to know how it worked. And then after a while I was like, you know what? I don't know if I care anymore because I was getting such good results that I'm like, I don't know if I have to understand for it to mean something to me. You know what I mean? So I try to explain the best I can to people, but um, it's one of those things where you almost just have to try. And I do like to explain it with a story because sometimes people kind of get it that way a little better. Yeah. Um, like with me, for example, when I was seeing her, you know, she kind of like, she, was talking about like you know we have a cat and OCD 
And I remember she said, oh, your progesterone's a little low and your thyroid's underfunctioning a bit. And, you know, there's a few heavy metals. And she went through like a whole list of stuff. And I was like, oh man, it's like a lot wrong with me. And she's like, no, it's not. It's just that like, we're just painting a picture of all these things that the, is going on in the body so we can figure out how it's connected mm. and then deal with that. Because so oftentimes in medicine, and it's based on emergency medicine of like, how do we stop the bleeding? And that's vital. But uh, what about what started the bleeding? Like that's crucial. And so when we apply the emergency model to mental health, like we don't always get great results. You know what I mean? You just said, that's a really well- way that you presented that um it's the you see you called it the emergency model mm-hmm. oh that's so great you're so right you're so right about that that is the approach isn't it for uh, especially for chronic illness instead of l- looking at the bigger picture of all the symptoms and then trying to figure out what is causing all the symptoms they just start hitting the symptoms themselves i just watched yeah. a movie um where the, the woman's on the hospital bed and and she's there, you know, she's laying there waiting for the, the doctor. The doctor comes in. So you have a growth in your brain and we're going to have to do surgery and cut it out. And I'm there thinking like, is that a symptom? Right? Yeah, <laughs> why, I love are we, that. why are we cutting out the symptom though? <laughs> why don't we we're go like, figure out? <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's go figure out what her lifestyle choices are. And maybe that will tell you a little bit more information than just cutting the person open and ripping something out. I love that's where your mind went. That's amazing. <laughs> I watch, I watch entertainment. Now I watch movies and show shows just to pick up on the BS just to be like, what are they trying to hide in this? Like, what are they trying to infiltrate here? Yeah. Many layers, many layers, many layers. Um, so question and, um, yeah, question. So if a little bit of a scenario here, uh, let's say you're a person with, let's say we talk about Adderall. Cause I think, I feel like that's a huge, uh, pandemic. That's the real pandemic is Adderall, Adderall use. And now yeah. with this, like, uh, this pullback on Adderall availability, right. It's, I've, I've heard from many people that I know that take it, that them starting to feel the anxiety around it. Now they're like, Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm not going to have this anymore. What? Um, so here's my question. A person that's been taking that consistently for a decade, uh, abusing it like a hundred milligrams a day, some crazy, right? 80 to hundred milligrams a day, abusing it for, for a decade. How long would it take for, for a person that's been doing that for that long to first taper off of it or can they kill mm-hmm. cold Turkey? I mean, if they can cold Turkey, great. Uh, how long would it take for them for that to be, to fully leave their system to where they start to really feel balanced again? Um, you can cold turkey have Adderall. It's one of the few you can safely do, assuming oh. you don't have any major cardiac issues, then yeah, it'll feel horrible, but you'll be okay. Um, tapering it, that could be is, I mean, in my experience, you could do that probably in three or four months, maybe a year, somewhere in there, depending on what the underlying conditions that person might have are and other medications, things like that. And then I usually tell people expect about, you know, maybe one to two years before you feel normal. Mm. Um, And that's because it takes a lot of time. Some of these medications is store in the fat and that gets really slowly (laughs) in the bloodstream over time. Um, I've even had people in sauna 
that after a few sessions will come out and be like, I can smell the perfume I wore when I was a kid in there, like adults. So like, it's amazing what you can get out, but it can take a long time to do that. Um, so it's, you know, that's kind of interesting to think about. So psychiatric medications, they are glycoprotein based, most of them. So they do end up like kind of sitting in a lot of spots in the body. Like they're, they're not necessarily, and that's why for people, when they want to taper, they'll be like, I'm going to do a water taper. Like a lot of them are not water soluble. Like that's not a great way to do it. I don't mm. suggest that. Um, but yeah, Adderall's tough because the fatigue, we say fatigue and we're like, oh, they must be tired, but no, it's like the worst, most unrelenting horrifying fatigue like can't do anything like so depressed like physically just completely wiped out other level tired it's impossible to explain how bad it can get um so yeah it, i think when you realize for the first time like i don't know if i can get my medication mm-hmm. like you feel that leash tighten mm-hmm. and you're like okay this teeny little pill became my entire world all of a sudden and, and you're, saying, and you're saying you're saying one to two years to start feeling some sort of balance or or, or yourself. So, oof. I mean that. I mean imagine imagine like there all of a sudden there's no more Adderall. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be two years of destruction basically, right? Or two years of having to kind of go through the letting go of that. Yeah, and it, it's not like you are in a horrible space for two years and then suddenly you're just better. It's like you get better and better over those two years. But, um, yeah, it's, so it's yeah, a gradual process. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I guess I'm, so is it, is it the same for, for, um, how is it different for, for, let's say if the person was doing, uh, what's it called? Um, Percocet or Vicodin, is it, is it a oh. worse, is it take, does it take longer because it's a pain pill? Um, it's usually a little bit faster. The difference that I see, and that's because of like what's happening in the brain, like with a lot of these stimulants, they're affecting dopamine receptors. So you're mm. going to get dopamine receptor hypersensitivity. And so it can be very hard to try to stimulate that again. The receptors might interpret that as telling your brain you're anxious instead of just high energy. So it's kind of a little different. Whereas with narcotic, um, those opiate receptors, they don't get sensitive like that. Um, not really. So, um, trying to just sort of saturate them and heal them later feels pretty good. So like, that's okay. The complication we see with narcotic tapers is that for a lot of people, there's a very real pain condition underneath that. And narcotics don't actually get rid of pain. They just make you care less about it. So, and they definitely don't cure pain. They are now they're very effective at, at managing pain. They're the best thing on the market for that, like bar none. But, um, we find that when we taper it, people will often feel and believe and think and perceive their underlying pain to be worse than before because it will hypersensitize you to your own pain. So that if you're is a person, the- if you're a person that's constantly running from the pain, it's literally like going into a, a black hole, right? Because then you're, it's like compounding the running away from it and then it gets worse and then it get, you take more and that's the cycle. Well, yes. Yes. And so that's a tough one. And then, I mean, you'd see different issues like with, with narcotics, a lot of times we'll see <clears throat> like urinary retention, kidney problems, you know, and, and for, for a lot of people on different psych meds, it's usually a cocktail. It's like, Oh, I'm on Adderall and a benzo and like, a little bit, you know, whatever. But with narcotics, a lot of people are on multiple narcotics and your body doesn't interpret it as like, Oh, that's the morphine and that's the Vicodin like, and that's Cody. Like, it's all considered 
um, essentially morphine in the body on a structural mm -hmm. chemical level. So what we have to do is convert it to what's called the mor morphine equivalency and actually count like how much morphine or opioid are you getting? Because the body doesn't see it as like just a little Vicodin or a little morphine. It sees it as cumulative. So people might be dosing themselves more than they think because of that. And some things can also enhance that effect. Other medications like Soma, which they don't really give out anymore because I know people were doing that on purpose. <laughs> um, you know, things like that. Wow, that's a, you really shifted my perspective on that. Uh, so it's probably even like safer to take all the pills of the day, crush it up and make it like a little juice out of it. And then you're getting, you know, exactly what you're getting. <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like... <laughs> People were doing that. And that was like a huge thing is that people figured out if you suck the coating off um, and then crush, I shouldn't be giving advice, but like <laughs> people were doing that. They were like, Oh, I did the see this in off. a show. I saw this in a, yeah. in a movie or a show or something. Um, yeah. Like dope stick was talking about that, but it's true. Like I was even doing that. Like when I was a kid, like, cause mm. I figured it out. I was like, Oh, if I suck on it, like it works. Like, oh, there's a sugar, I there's a sugar coating on this. Let me just suck this off. And then, yeah, it's yeah. weird. Isn't that? No, that, that's the thing. Um, yeah, you know, I asked this, here's why I asked, I'm asking and why I really, I really wanted to connect with you on this. Um, I'm in the crypto space. I'm in the crypto space and you know, we are in front of the computer all the time. And I've noticed that most of the people that have been in the space with me that I've, the time that I've been in for the last 10 years have now started using a lot of medication, a lot of things to keep their um, attention to keep their focus, to keep their energy up. So I guess my question to you is for the people that do that and are listening, if they did want to choose to stop using that stuff, um, but you know, they're in front of the computer all day, they're, they're, they're absorbing the light frequencies that they are. What, what would be your recommendation to help bridge away from opioid use? And, and still be able to do the thing they're doing and not lose the momentum of energy. Oh, oh you, the Adderall question. on stimulants? Yeah, it's mostly stimulants. It's mostly like coffee or Adderall or yeah. I don't know what else there is there, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know what's interesting is most of my people that have anxiety, one of their first concerns is like, this isn't gonna make me tired, is it? Like we have this a total fear in our culture of being tired. Mm. Um, and it's fascinating because I was like, put me to sleep. Like if heroin was legal, I'd be on it. Like, you know, like I couldn't wait to get out, but it's like, but a lot of people are like, I just want to be tired. And, and I think it's very understandable because at this point in our culture, like we're expected to make a lot of money to survive. Healthcare is not affordable and it's really hard to connect with people and to cook for oneself, to find time to exercise, find time to meditate, to relax, to learn new things, to stimulate. Like the list is not possible to do. So it's like, of course, people need stimulants if they want to achieve those goals. So I think the first thing is really looking at your goals of what you want to do in a day, because it may not be doable without stimulants. Um, and if it's not doable, then you are setting yourself up to fail. So like making your day doable in whatever way that means. And then also I would say work with a naturopathic doctor that can help get your body like used to producing its own energy again, because when we use synthetic forms of energy or adenosine or anything else, that's going to hyperdrive that system for you. You are going to get used to that synthetic level and you're going to expect it. And that's just not realistic in real life. Oh, I love that you answered it this way. I'm so happy you did because yes, it's 
all of this stuff, all of this stuff that we're using are tools. And if you don't know why are you using it, it's going to start using you. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Isn't it? Th I mean, that's with everything, even like uh, our phones, for example, the black mirror, right? If you're not consciously using it, if you're not using it to do this, to connect and discuss and talk about these, you know, conscious expand, expanding topics or creating content to share truth or, you know, building a business, then you're, allowing it to use you mm -hmm. and collect your yes. data. I love how you said that. It's totally true. Cause like we, you know, it's partly because like reach for the stars, you can do anything. And then that gets real twisted into mm -hmm. like, well, why aren't you reaching for the stars? Why haven't you been doing everything? So you can be anything. And it's like, it's just too much. It's way too much. It's like, we, this is not realistic. Like none of this cultural life we live in the u.s is realistic for anybody yeah it's it's like the difference between the fiction that we're being mm -hmm. pushed around with as opposed mm -hmm. to reality and in my opinion here in reality you don't need to be doing to be worthy <laughs> you know we, yeah. can just be, we can just be humans and be men and women and there is worthiness in that there is worth there's value in that uh that's how you know i've been saying recently that the, the more we keep protesting and pushing back against the system and fighting it, we're just reaffirming that it has the control. If, mm. we, if we were just to let it go, let go and let be and start focusing on being ourselves, then all of a sudden we are uh, remembering ourselves. We're remembering who we are in relation to that system. We are giving it power by giving it focus. Right. Mm-hmm. It's true. So same thing with opioids, same thing with the stuff, same thing with, um, crypto even, you know, uh, uh, all of these, all of these, uh, all this programming that we've normalized of yeah. going to work and nine to five and having to put out a certain amount of energy and, and getting a certain amount of energy back. And it's like these boxes that they've, that has been normalized. The more we can <clears throat> step away from that and really just approach it at, from, you know, more of a, more of like regeneration, more of like, let me have fun with this. Yeah. The, the flow of energy shifts. I've said that recently. Like if you go into a, a space where you, you're constantly needing that thing to feel validated or to feel the love, then you're constantly going to have to be consuming it. You yeah. Know, that, that's the same thing with opioids. The more you use it unintentionally, the more of it, you're going to need it. All of a yeah. sudden when you flip it and it becomes a tool, then it's like, okay, that's not the end goal. That's not the, that's just a tool to get me to here, to get me to this. Yeah. Next place. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's, I mean, it's I'm not saying that people don't at times, it, it, there's a fine line, you know, between like, you can absolutely need a medication and you use it recreationally. That's usually what happens, you know? <laughs> so trying to like re get back to balance again, it's a journey. And it does, you know, you have to peel that back and go, okay, like, what is this med telling me? Like, I had to take it to feel normal, not good enough without it as I am. I'm a little broken. Like, there's a lot of subtleties that come from popping a pill innocently, you know? So a few more questions here, and then we can, we can wrap it up with some reaction videos. Um, what are mm -hmm. some daily self-care grounding practices that you do to help during triggering moments. So things that, that I do, do myself. Yeah. So what are practices that you do every day that help with your nervous system? 
So what I do um, is I, I don't cold plug. I can't do so many of those things for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but it's too cold. But um, I first get up, I walk to the window and I let light hit my face immediately. Um, and then I drink a full glass of water right away just to make sure I'm, because it's been hours, right? Um, I go to the gym usually three days a week. Sometimes I don't, I like range-based goals. So like I say, if I go to the gym one to five times this week, success. That way I know that like, if I, it, it's good. <laughs> um, I try to limit my, the foods that I know bother my system, which is refined sugar, cow dairy, alcohol. Um, and I try to make sure, cause I have issues still like with making sure I eat enough. So mm-hmm. that's, I have to constantly pep talk myself and be like, all right, go eat something, go eat something. And I'll probably always have to do that just because that's the card I got. Um, And I've learned that for me, mindfulness, that tricks don't always work. And sometimes they get old and they don't work all the time. So I have to continuously kind of change those. I am in therapy. I love therapy. Um, And I do get bored. So I like to make sure I change up my hobbies. I do journal a little bit. Um, I love all that stuff like sauna, IV and everything. I don't do it that much, but I like doing it when I feel like I have time to do it. So, um, yeah, that's what I do right now. I love that. Um, it's very, uh, uh, it's like, you're, you're very aware of the, your shadow pieces, like the pieces of you that, um, you know, the, the pieces of all of us that uh, it's, it's based on trauma, based on our upbringing, based on indoctrination that, that unconsciously drives actions. And so I think what I really heard you say was, oh, I became aware of all the, my limitations. And then I started to create little habits yeah. too, so that I don't fall into the traps. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, I don't want to, I mean, it could be an endless journey into healthism to be like, I have to do a thousand and one things and a thousand and one biohacks and uh, it's too overwhelming. I have a tendency to go all in and strive for perfectionism. So it's in my my best interest to do a few things that are pretty convenient more so than perfect, you know? Yeah. The the 1% a day after, after a year, it's 365%. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, uh, one more question here. So you have a few minutes, okay. You're standing in front of millions of people. You have a few minutes to speak. What do you leave them with? Oh, oh, I start with a joke always, but I don't have one right now. Um, But after that, (laughs) they probably say something like, I really, really believe almost every person in the world can stand to love themselves more. I don't think anybody would do better by loving themselves less. So whether that's learning to speak more kindly, to stop criticizing yourself and others, I think if we can all get into a habit of practicing some self-affirming things, we will see a lot of our physical, emotional, and spiritual health issues go away. Oh, I love that. I love that. Very well said. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Julia. That was beautiful. Um, if you guys want to uh, reach out to Dr. Julia, her website is Dr. Julia Brits. That's D-R-Julia, J-U-L-I-A, Brits, B as in boy, R-I-T as in Tom, Z.com. Or you can follow her on Instagram. It's just uh, at Dr. Julia Brits, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much. This was lovely. Thank you for sharing and being vulnerable. Um, I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Dr. Julia. Thanks, Otto. It's always so fun to talk to you. I really appreciate it. But before you go, I want to do uh, just two two reaction videos. I think okay. it's uh, I think it's fun to uh, go and do these. Uh, people like to watch people's reactions to stuff, and okay, uh, I'm almost positive there are people out there wanting to know your reaction to some of these videos. So we'll see. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so the first video, uh, one second. Okay, here it is. Pull it up here. Um, okay. So this this might interest you a lot. Okay. All right. Here it goes. Oh, can you not see it? I don't see anything. Oh, you're not seeing anything, are you? Nope. <laughs> Sorry, I just I, I thought I was showing it to you on the, on the screen here. Um, here and now you know how to react to that. I oh, know. Now I'm I see so something. Sorry. Yeah, give me a second. I thought it was on. All right, here we go. Okay. Do I need to hear anything or no? Can you hear it? No. It's weird. It should be hearing it, but I don't know why it's not coming through. Oh, I know why it's. That's. <laughs> All right. Zero. I'm gonna. Can you hear it now? Just yeah. shadow it. All right. So here we go. Sorry. Start. No, zero, right? Yeah. Just shadow it. Yeah. Four. It goes like minus. And you're not touching. I'm not touching. That, that's crazy. How the fuck is this possible? Okay. Do you see what's happening? Yeah, so, I mean, I could see it, but I don't know what they're measuring. Light. Wait, really? Yeah, so they put their hand over the cup and it gets lighter. See, it gets lighter, goes negative. It goes like minus. Oh. Because they're blocking the light from hitting it. Oh, that's weird. So we were talking about shadows and light. Yeah. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> Light is real. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. Makes me miss science class a little bit. Science class. <laughs> but I didn't know that. I didn't know light has weight. Did you know I that? Didn't either no. <laughs> um, okay, this one's interesting. All right, so this one is very interesting. Here it goes. Elephants come, they go bow to my brethren. I'm Midwest, I 
Alright, so, so you know what's happening here? You know what's happening here? This is a Mongolian cow bone breaking sport. Really? So they have a cow bone in their hand and they're breaking it with just one strike of their hand. Wow, that's insane. Did you know this even existed? This is a sport. I didn't know that. I mean, I don't do sports. Um, wow. <laughs> You're like, what's, I don't know, soccer? What, what does that mean? It's football. <laughs> it's football. It's football. Oh. You know football. Um, <laughs> it's wild. All right, one last one. One last one okay. and we'll call it here. I know how to stand up um, to him. Oh, wait, uh, not this one. Let's do this one. Okay, here we go. This is this is an interesting one. You'll you'll, you'll like this one. Two hundred and fifty deserve to be somebody's wife. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Two hundred thousand. The type of wedding you want. That's how much it costs. Uh huh. You're bugging the. We're gonna invest that. My job as a man is to hold the household down, and she hasn't worked in years. I'm not spending a quarter million dollars on a wedding. I'm not doing it. So, I'm trying to tell so, you. So, so you have no plans on getting married. I have plans on getting. Let's go to city hall. I'm not a city hall bitch. Not a plain city hall. Cause shit about to get left. Like I'm telling you right now. At the end of the day, I love you more than life itself. But you gotta be easy with all this. Love ain't Tell enough. Me. How long you plan on being broke? Bro, I don't like we're broke. I took my mouth. You That's not it broke. Too much. That's, That's smart. Broke people behavior. That's smart. All right. Listen, you call it broke. You know what I'm saying? Leave and see what your ass gonna be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 so, so do you want a two hundred fifty thousand dollar wedding? No. <laughs> could pay me 250 to have yeah that yeah wow <laughs> i you know it's funny like i already i got married and then i got divorced and so i'm like i already did it i'm cool i want like a really stellar vacation and we can talk about investment instead i'll just call you i'll be like i'm getting married and how we're celebrating is you're gonna you know that's what i'll do oh uh, same i was married and divorced and now i'm like let's just not let's just put our money towards the vacation are we even yeah all right thank you dr julia this was so great um pleasure pleasure always and um thank you for giving me your time and your energy and i definitely want to do this again absolutely i would love to have you do a live on my instagram too i can interview yes. you there you go <laughs> all right we'll definitely do it actually this is going to come out in like probably three weeks uh when it does cool. when it gets edited and so maybe we need to re um I'm, I'm gonna realign with you so that we can do an ig live from my my platform so we can promote this awesome love it awesome all right well thank you so much and everyone watching always remember gamify your abundance love you guys mm -hmm.